Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and get a unique WordPress website or store right away. From there, you can customize your design, colors, and content. And Bluehost automatically helps you get found in search engines like Google and Bing. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins, Bluehost makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. Stocks for beginners. Dividends make up about 43% of the returns of the U.S. stock market. And even if stocks go up a certain amount, that if you're getting a 9% return on the S&P over the past 80 years, almost half of that, 40%, comes from the dividends and the reinvesting of the dividends. So it's dividends are a major part of the returns of the stock market. So if you're not owning dividend stocks, you're missing out. Hi, and welcome back to Stocks for Beginners. I'm Phil Muscatello. My guest today is financial writer Lawrence Carroll, a.k.a. Larry Carroll. Larry's the author of Dividend Stocks for Dummies and ETFs for the Long Run. He's also been a contributor to The Wall Street Journal, Forbes, Barron's, Hard Assets, and a list that's too long to go into here. Hi, Larry. Hi, Phil. How are you? Good. Thanks very much for coming on. So, Larry, tell us a little bit about your background. You've been working in financial writing for quite a few years now. Yeah, I got into financial writing back in the 90s at the beginning of the dot-com era, and I landed at the Wall Street Journal just as they were creating the website for the paper, and that was pretty early because it was before the New York Times. So I've been working on the internet and working in finance for a very long time. So at the Wall Street Journal, did you have one of those stipple pictures they use for the authors? <laughs> no, but I did manage to... Uh, buy one and hired one of the artists to make one of my son when he was born. So I can send that to you if you want to see it. Yeah, yeah. So tell us about um, writing the dummy book, Dividend Stocks for Dummies. I was working at a website called Smart Money, which was a um, magazine that was owned by Dow Jones. And it was like Money Magazine and that it was helping people invest in personal finance. And uh, one day, the uh, editor said to me, would you like to write about ETFs? And I'm like, I have no idea what they are. He says, I'm not really sure what they are either, but I think they're going to be really big. What year was that? This was in 2006, when um, the ETF industry was really starting to explode. And um, a lot of new companies were coming in, a lot of interesting ideas. So I started writing a column, and I was one of the only people, if not the only person, writing about ETFs on the web. And then I got a call from John Wiley, a book publisher, and they said, uh, we can't find anybody else to write about ETFs. Would you like to write a book for us? <laughs> so I said, twist my arm, and I did. And uh, you know, came out and was very successful. And then a couple years later, I actually ran into the guy who wrote ETS for Dummies at a conference. And he said, you know, would you like to write a Dummies book? They keep asking me and I don't want to do anymore. So I talked to uh, his agent and I got a gig with um, Wiley was also the people that owned the Dummies books. And they said, could you write dividend stocks for Dummies? And I said, sure. And uh, I guess the rest is history. Just before we start talking about that, you've obviously been writing about finance through a number of ups and downs in the market, shall we say. What was it like working during that period of the global financial crisis? You know, when you're writing about what's going on, it's very exciting. And um, I was talking to people and people had an idea that it was going to happen, but the broader community, the broader number of people in America who were reading and watching CNBC either 
had no idea, weren't acknowledging it. And so later when they said, why didn't financial journalists tell us? It was like, well, a lot of us had been telling you, but you weren't paying attention. And then, you know, it's very scary and the whole thing that was going on with a new president and is the economy going down. So, yeah, it was, it was a very hard time to write about that stuff. I think it's just interesting to reflect on it because a lot of people have never experienced a down market. And not only that was a down market, but it was like a slow drip for two years or so where every day the market would go down a bit further, then down a bit further. So psychologically, it was very, very difficult to cope with. Yeah. And, you know, people kept waiting for the bounce back. And I had an editor said, have we capitulated yet? Have we capitulated yet? And um, I don't think so. But yeah, it was very, very trying. And they were in the middle of a presidential campaign. And um, the uh, Bush administration was doing all kinds of wacky stuff to try to pull us out of it. And, uh, you know, a lot of people were saying, you know, this is crazy what you're doing and this and that. And, um, and yet most of the people who were in power weren't listening. So when then it did come back and it fallen, you know, about 50 percent, you know, you never know when to get back in, but they say you got to put your money back in when blood is on the street. So you have to uh, start investing when things have gotten really cheap. That's an interesting word that you use, capitulation, because that's something that um, is talked about in finance, that um, that's when everyone who's going to sell has sold and there's no one left to sell. And that's basically what it is, isn't it? Yes, that is exactly what it is. <laughs> when blood is on the streets. <laughs> You know, you want to buy at the high, you want to buy at the lows and, you know, sell when people are greedy, which would be now, and buy when people don't want to go anywhere near stocks. That's interesting because psychologically, when everyone's rushing for the doors, that's the hardest time to buy. Yes, it's forcing you to go against your human instincts because it's a fearful time. So you've got to fight the fear and put your money in when you're probably the least confident about the market. And that's when you have to invest. And that brings us to a good point to talk about dividends, because that's a thing that can be very helpful when the market is falling. Okay, well, let's talk about investing in dividends. We'll get around to talking about how they can help out in terms of market downturns. But um, let's have a talk about income generating stocks and a couple of definitions. So what is a dividend? A dividend is a cash payment that essentially allows you to share in the profits of the company without having to sell your shares. Most of the time you buy a stock and you have to wait for the price of the shares to rise and then you get out hopefully when the shares are higher and you book a profit but then you don't own the stock anymore. So if you need the money you have to sell your investment and um, dividends allow you to generate money without selling the share so that you can keep getting more money. And what they do is it's a profit sharing plan. They basically are saying, we want to reward you for staying our investor. Companies have different choices on what they can do with their money. They can reinvest it and grow the company. And that's what a lot of small companies do and growth companies. And they want to get the company bigger. They want to create new products. And uh, so they reinvest it in the company and they don't have money to pay out as dividends. And then there are companies that are paying down debt and they need the money so that they don't run into creditor problems, and then they can buy back shares, which does help boost the share price. And the last thing is to pay dividends. And what that does is you're rewarding your shareholders for sticking with you. So you get a certain number of dollars a year, and that way you get to keep the shares, and then you keep getting those dollars every year. And that's a great way to make you know money off the stock without selling. 
And typically these are companies like um, banks and retailers and so forth. Uh, are these the kind of companies that we'd be talking about here? Most of the time, you're talking about mature companies and also companies that are very stable and can guarantee they're going to have the money to pay out the uh, dividend because if their earnings go up and down or they're posting losses, they can't afford to risk running short of money by giving you the money. And so they have to hold on to it. So you're looking at very mature companies that have built a business and that is doing pretty much doing well. And I guess the key areas for uh, dividends are utilities, energy stocks, telecommunication stocks, consumer staples. And lately, mature technology companies like Apple and Microsoft have started giving out dividends as well. So why should um, investors think about this and consider dividend stocks for their portfolio? Well, you get passive income. You don't have to do anything. You're getting money every quarter or every month, depending on how often they pay it. And that's, that's a nice surprise, you know, in your mailbox every uh, couple of months. And then, you know, if you own enough shares, oh, you got money suddenly for Christmas presents. So that's the first thing, passive income. You are investing, as I said, in mature and stable companies. So um, you know that they aren't going to um, suddenly have a huge problem with their finances. This reduces your risk because you're investing in these staple companies. So you're not going to run into major problems. And most of these companies, because of um, their stability and their maturity, because they're paying out the dividends and they're not huge growth companies, their stocks prices are not jumping hugely like a Tesla. I mean, they're in a big growth phase. But on the flip side, when the market falls, they have much less volatility. So you don't lose nearly as much as you would from like a Tesla. Like if Procter & Gamble is a classic consumer staples that pays dividends, it's a soap company, people are going to be buying soap no matter what. So when the market falls, their price is going to fall because maybe people will buy a little less and um, with the market, they fall because most stocks fall together. But unlike Tesla, which, you know, I don't know, I haven't seen Tesla do it, but, you know, large growth stocks or biotechnology stocks, they're going to take a big hit because they're very risky. And whether they're going to be able to come back after the fall is questionable. But, you know, people are pretty sure a soap company is going to come back. So you're not going to lose as much. They're not going to sell off as much. Hey, everyone. I've been on the go recently. Phoenix, Kansas City, Chicago. If you're like me and have a home but aren't always at home, you have an Airbnb. Hosting your home or a spare room is a very practical side hustle. If you live in a big game town, you can Airbnb your place for fans to stay in. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at Airbnb.com slash host. Larry, let's talk about a couple of other definitions here. Price to dividend ratio is an important ratio to consider. Tell us about that. Price to dividend ratio is known as your yield. And your yield is the percentage return on the investment. So yield changes with stock price. You know, people, especially in this kind of environment where they're not getting a lot of yield from bonds, they want to guarantee what the rate of return will be. So Yield is a major component of what you're getting. It's not the amount of money you're getting, because if the dividend is $2 a year, if the uh, stock is $50, you're getting a yield of 4%. 
But if the stock goes up to $100, now your yield has fallen to 2%. And the main thing to remember about yield is your yield doesn't change with the stock price. Your yield is what it was the day you bought it. And so as the stock price gets higher, you have the same yield that you had. And if you bought it at 50, you have that 4% yield. Even when it goes up to 100, it's the new people buying it. They're getting the 2% yield. Mm. But that's not a bad thing. If the uh, price is going up at the same time as you get a, a dividend, that would be not a bad outcome either. And that's exactly what you want. That's the perfect scenario. <laughs> not that we always achieve it. <laughs> no. So what's the difference then between that and the price earnings ratio? Price earnings ratio is you take the price and you divide it by the earnings. So this is the actual earnings that the company makes, not what they're paying out in a dividend. Right. The dividend is a small portion of the earnings. Earnings are the profits, and they are sharing the profits with you, but it's usually a smaller percentage. And that's called the payout ratio, in where you take the amount of the dividends and you divide that by the earnings to find out what percentage of the earnings are being paid out to the shareholders. And usually, you know, in a good company, it's 40%. In a company that's really not paying out a lot, it's like 20%. And, you know, if they're not reinvesting a lot of the money by giving out the dividends, it prevents them from doing a lot of stupid things like, you know, mergers and acquisitions that end up not really helping the company at all. So payout ratio is important. Price to earnings is the classic ratio that all stock investors use to determine whether a stock is cheap or not. Yeah, and that's really important to consider because you don't want a a company paying out too much of their earnings as dividends because they're not reinvesting for the future. Like you say, if they're keeping too much, they can do stupid things. And um, tell us about some of those stupid things. Let's just dive into that just for a moment. Well, you know, companies making a lot of profits and you've got a CEO who wants to make his mark on the company. Build an empire. (laughs) Build an empire, prove his worth, prove, you know, he deserves the job and, you know, become a famous CEO because he's doing all these great things. So they may get invested into a lot of side projects, get the company to create products that are not necessarily the main core business of the company, and that can distract the actual business. And usually those things don't necessarily work out. A lot of times they fail. And it's really for the uh, CEO's ego that we're doing it, and it's not best for the shareholders. So that's the first thing. And then the other thing is mergers and acquisition. They always talk about synergy, that the two companies can help cut costs and make better profits. And I would say that, you know, more than half the time, that's probably right. But if you've got 45% of those companies not working out, not creating more synergies, then you're essentially spending a lot of money that um, could be paid back to you, the shareholder, and you're spending money to buy these companies that are not necessarily making the company more profitable. So these are things that CEOs and boards do for their own ego and self-gratification to show how wonderful they are. Gee, that's a great explanation. <laughs> it's good to know how much ego is involved in management, isn't there? Yeah. I mean, look at these guys. Look at how much they're paying themselves. It's a lot of ego. <laughs> so there's also a thing called dividend reinvestment plans. Tell us about those. A dividend reinvestment plan is where you buy stock, share stock, and um, you usually buy it from the company. You buy it from a broker and you fill out forms with the company. What happens is they take the dividends and instead of sending you the check that you can then put into your bank account, they just reinvest it and they buy fractional shares of the company's stock. So that way you keep building your portfolio. You Say you buy 100 shares of stock and then they are paying that 2% yield and you're getting like $2 a year. And as it gradually 
build, they buy you like 2% of a share the first year. And then as you have more shares, you get more dividends and it's just compounding, like compounding interest. So you build up more shares, your portfolio grows. And as your portfolio grows, you get more dividends. And then as you get more dividends, you buy even more shares, which increases your portfolio. And instead of a vicious circle, it's a wonderful circle. Mm. And um, presumably this is a way of dollar cost averaging as well, so that if the stock price goes down, you're buying that at a cheaper price. Yeah, it's automatic investing. It takes the thought process out of it. You're buying like once a month and you get it. If the market's up, if the market's down, you keep buying. So it forces you to invest when you might not want to, like if the market's down, but at that time you're getting the stocks cheaper. So it's actually a great thing because you might not think of investing when the market's down, but because the dividend reinvestment plan just keeps you know rolling along, you buy shares when the prices are cheap. And then, of course, when the market goes up, you buy shares as they're going up. So it is a dollar cost averaging, and it takes a lot of the thought process out of it. And they're really great for new investors and investors without a lot of money because the minimum investment is usually one share. Sorry, explain how that works. You buy one share. Say so you buy one share in Procter & Gamble. You you know, get the forms to enter their dividend reinvestment plan. And then that's it. You know, you're a stockholder. Most of them don't have minimums. Some of them do have minimums, but it's usually not a lot. And um, it's a good way for people without a lot of money to get investing. And usually you're investing in companies that are not very risky. So how can dividend investments help you to weather markets when they inevitably go down? Okay. So I own a, a stock I think it's Phillips 66. So they pay like a 5% dividend yield. So if the stock falls, I'm still getting 5% a year on my investment. And that way, I'm still making money. And it definitely cuts the losses I have. I mean, they're paper losses. It cuts the losses in the stock price. So you keep getting money every year, even though the market could be down. And also because, as I said before, dividend stocks are usually mature companies and stable companies. They usually typically fall a lot less in major market corrections and downturns. So you lose a lot less there. And the, the dividends keep the money coming in. So it's a nice little, uh, once again, wonderful circle. You referred just a little while ago to bonds as a way of earning an income. Um, but these days, they don't actually pay a lot of yield, do they? No. And even what are called high-yield bonds, which are very risky, are not paying a lot of yield. So in perspective, the uh, U.S. Uh, 10-year Treasury bond is giving you 1.6% on your return annually. So, I mean, that's not great. The S&P market as a whole has a yield of 2%, which is basically the average of all the yields in the index. So then, you know, Investment-grade bonds for companies that are very stable are paying close to 2.5%, which is, you know, you're locking your money up. You're not really getting paid a lot for that. And then if you buy a high-risk bond, back in five or six years ago, you could get close to 10% on those, and now those are down to 4 or 5%. So you're really not getting paid for the amount of risk you're taking on. I mean, we're talking about two different kinds of bonds here, aren't we? There's uh, government bonds, and then there's corporate bonds. Right. So the treasuries are government bonds. And um, they pay less because they're very safe. And then the investment-grade corporate bonds pay you know, close to what stocks are paying because they're pretty safe. And then the high-yield bonds should pay you a lot more interest because they have a high risk of defaulting on their credit. Mm. Because that's the way it works, isn't it? Like a good company that's a good credit risk, they're not going to be required to pay as high a yield 
as a company that um, is taking more risk. That's the way it works, isn't it? Right. That's the classic risk and reward equation. That if you need to be paid more for taking on higher risk, if you're going to loan money to a company that could possibly not pay it back to you, in the meantime, I need to be paid a higher amount now in case you do stop paying me. Whereas if I'm 99% sure you're going to pay me back this money on the bond, they don't have to pay me nearly as much because it's like almost as safe as a U.S. Treasury. I mean, you know, corporate bonds could always run into problems. But once again, you're buying a bond in a stable, mature company like Procter & Gamble. I think that you have very little chance of that company going out of business. A fund manager I was speaking to this week has become very debt shy, especially for growth companies, because when he lived through the financial crisis, that's when those companies defaulted, went bankrupt, because if a company's got a lot of debt, they don't have a lot of protection to weather any kind of storms like that, don't they? Right. I mean, they have to be paying off that interest every uh, couple of months, and um, that's where a significant part of their profits. And if they're losing money, then they don't have profits. they got to be pulling it from other parts of the company. And so, yes, it's a high risk. And that's actually a problem, which is a different conversation. But bonds, high-risk bonds can be problematic now because people are so desperate for yield, they're buying these high-yield bonds that are not yielding much, and their companies investment uh, foundations or universities or institutional investors need to own bonds. And so companies that really should have gone under and gone bankrupt are being kept afloat because people want the bonds. And so they're willing to buy the bonds to help these companies keep the businesses going when you know they really don't have the money and they're probably zombie companies. And uh, this can be a big problem if we have major defaults. Okay, well, let's just zoom out a bit and um, look at constructing a portfolio. Beginners who are approaching the market, and I do understand that a lot of people come to this podcast because they've heard of GameStop or AMC and they want to get, you know, sudden huge profits and think that they're stock market wizards. But that's not like it is. I mean, I always try and talk about a slow and steady approach to investing. So without making any recommendations and only talking generally, how should new investors start looking at the market and constructing and managing a portfolio? Well, the U.S. market has come back a huge amount since the um, downfall, the correction last year in March. And there's the risk that, you know, the Fed is going to raise interest rates, which could have a detrimental effect on the stock market and probably will have a detrimental effect on the stock market. So it's a time that you have to be very careful what you're investing in. And as I said, these high growth companies are going to be the ones that usually take a big hit if there's a major downturn. And stocks like GameStop and AMC, you have to look deep into their financials and see, are they making profits? And are the profits growing each quarter or each year? And I think that you know the reason that those stocks are so unusual is that they haven't been making profits and people are betting that they're going to come back. So to start out, you, know, you might want to invest in mutual funds, which give you an automatic diversification or ETFs, which um, that way with a small amount of a minimum investment, you can get a diversified portfolio. But if you're going to look at individual stocks, you have to really determine what your time horizon for owning the stock is. Are you going to hold it for less than a year or are you going to hold it for a couple of years or five years or 20 years? And um, what is your risk tolerance? If the market falls or your stocks fall 20%, are you going to be able to sleep at night? And if you can say, I can weather the downturn and I can wait until they come back, 
then you've got a higher risk tolerance. And if you say, I'm not going to be able to sleep, I'm going to be, you know, anxious and really, you know, constantly worried if my stocks fall 20% that I'm losing a lot of money, then you have a lower risk tolerance. So you have to evaluate this about yourself and, again, the time horizon to determine what kind of stocks to buy. And so then you need to look at the stocks and, you know, these high-growth stocks, a lot of these new companies that have come out, what kind of uh, history do they have and how are their earnings? And if they're not making earnings and you're buying companies that are growing but are posting losses, those companies are like high risk of going under if the market turns. So you might want to start with, um, like I said, the stable companies, more mature companies, companies you know, companies' names you've heard of. And um, like I said, Procter & Gamble is a classic and other consumer staples, food stocks, and then even companies like um, you know, Microsoft and Apple, which are huge and have built great reputations and are pretty stable companies that you know you might want to invest in companies that are well known and have like a real history and have shown that management knows how to manage the company in bad times as well as good. And of course diversification is important as well realizing that you don't want to have everything in one company or one um, sector. I mean, it's like ETFs. Someone will buy an S&P 500 ETF, not understanding that investing in that basically gives you a major exposure to companies like Apple and Microsoft. So there's no point in going buying them. Otherwise, if you've got an ETF and then you're just going to be mirroring that holding. Right. I mean, diversification is basically not putting all your eggs in one basket. And you want to spread out your risk because if you know one sector takes a big hit like energy oil or i don't know electric vehicles then if you've got all your money invested in that then you're going to you know probably not be able to make it back because who knows if they're going to come back so you want to have like some in mature companies some in growth companies some in somewhere in the middle so that you are getting like a broader range of returns and investments that can lower your risk. I mean, that's really what it all comes down to is how much risk do you want to take? And you want to make sure that you don't lose all your money if the market turns against you. And just getting back to before when you were saying about can you sleep at night when your portfolio goes down by 20% or your stock goes down 20%, people don't actually know that until it happens to them though. Right. Yeah. Atheists become, you know, believers in God when they're in the foxhole. This is like the famous expression. <laughs> That's a great expression. So this is a question without notice. What did you personally learn writing the book? I learned that dividends make up about 43% of the returns of the U.S. stock market. That even if stocks go up a certain amount, that if you're getting a 9% return on the S&P over the past 80 years, almost half of that, 40%, comes from the dividends and the reinvesting of the dividends. So it's Dividends are a major part of the returns of the stock market. So if you're not owning dividend stock, you're missing out. Number two, I learned that companies that pay dividends aren't obligated to pay the dividends. They do it because they want to you know, encourage people to buy their stocks. Whereas a bond, as we were talking about, pays interest. It's called fixed income because it has to pay you that interest rate every six months or every year. But when um, the market turns down and companies are suddenly in a cash crunch and they can't pay all their bills, the first thing they're going to cut is the dividend because there's immediate money that they've got in their pocket. And it's like, well, why do I need to give it out to the shareholders when I need to pay this money off to pay my bills to keep the company going? So dividends are not guaranteed no matter how long it's going. Another thing is that companies increase 
dividends. A lot of companies increase the dividends, and those are the best ones to buy, where every year or two, they will increase the amount of the payout. So your dividend keeps growing. If the first year, you're getting that $2, and then the next year, you're getting $2 and a quarter, and then the next year, you're getting two fifty. Your returns are growing without, again, having to do anything. It's passive income, and it's growing passive income. And um, Oh, there's a group of uh, dividends called the Dividend Aristocrats, and these are 25 companies that have been raising their dividends to payouts for 25 straight years without interruption. So these are great companies to buy if you want to be a dividend investor because they will keep boosting your returns. It's, it's fantastic. Wow, Larry, that's great. And so um, this book's still available and um, people can buy it? Yeah, it's out there. It's on Amazon and um, it's the Yellow Dummies book. And uh, I have a new updated edition called Investing with Dividends because I wrote this one during the financial crisis when all these stocks were very cheap and um, now they're not quite the same prices. So they cut a lot of those stocks out. But again, the best sectors for dividends are utilities because people always got to pay for their electricity telecommunications because it's almost a utility so verizon and at&t pay like six percent yields on their uh, stocks energy companies do well and um consumer staples which comes back to procter and gamble you know you buy soap everybody needs to buy soap every month or whatever and um well you hope so Right. Well, the majority of people are buying soap and toothpaste. (laughs) Larry, thank you very much for your time today. There's been really great explanations. Thank you very much for having me, Phil. If you found this podcast helpful, please tell a friend, especially if it's someone who needs to start thinking about investing for their future. You'll be helping them and helping me to keep this show on the road. Stocks for Beginners is for information and educational purposes only. It isn't financial advice and you shouldn't buy or sell any investments based on what you've heard here. Any opinion or commentary is the view of the speaker only, not Stocks for Beginners. This podcast doesn't replace professional advice regarding your personal financial needs, circumstances or current situation. And thank you for listening to my podcast. Tired of ads barging into your favorite news podcasts? Good news. Ad-free listening is available on Amazon Music for all the music plus top podcasts included with your Prime membership. Stay up to date on everything newsworthy by downloading the Amazon Music app for free or go to amazon.com slash news ad free. That's amazon.com slash news ad free to catch up on the latest episodes without the ads.